0: I don't know how to take that. People rejoicing before I get up to preach that they get to leave. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Acts chapter 15. Just a word of thanks to TJ for taking the message last week. Um, I reviewed his message uh, online. And by the way, you can always go online to listen to any of the messages that our church uh, does. And I really appreciated what TJ shared, the insights that he had into the passage before this one last week. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Acts chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 41. Isn't it easy to get distracted? Sometimes the affairs of life, sometimes confusion, sometimes disputes with other people can take our eyes off the prize. We forget What it is God would have us do. And that's what we find here in Acts chapter 15. We saw two potential, or we see two potential problems that could have derailed the church and caused profound problems in the first century. The first problem that we'll find is a follow up to what TJ was sharing last week confusion concerning the gospel. There were people coming into the church and they were sharing additions to what Paul and Barnabas had shared as to what it takes to come into a personal relationship with God the Father. This confusion had spread to many of the churches in the region of what is now modern day Turkey, and there was an issue that needed to be addressed. But the second problem that we're going to see is some interpersonal problems within the church and even within leaders of the church, and that is a sharp disagreement that arises between Paul and Barnabas. Isn't it interesting, Satan's strategy? First, he tries, as we've seen in the book of Acts, to stop the gospel by attacking from without, persecution, We'll try and crush the church by shutting it down. So what happens? The church merely spreads into other regions and carries the gospel. And the work that Satan hoped to accomplish thwarted because God's work in the gospel continued. So that doesn't work. Satan moves to plan B. Let's attack the church from within. So what does he do? He sends some false teachers into this church of new believers in what is modern-day Turkey, and he stirs things up. He confuses the gospel. He tries to set church member against church member by the leaders that they follow, hoping that the gospel would be shut down. And then when that doesn't work, Let's stir up strife between the leaders themselves. Satan always has a plan to try and stop the work of God. But thankfully, the work of God is greater than any plan of Satan. God works to carry forth his gospel. And in all of this, what did the people have to remember? Rather than being distracted by persecution, rather than being distracted by the disagreements as to the gospel, rather than being distracted by a disagreement between two leaders, they had to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Share the gospel. Don't get distracted by these other things. Keep focused on what God has called us to do. And that's something that we need to remember as well. As we come to verse 22 of this passage, we see a follow up to a council that had met concerning what constitutes the gospel. We saw that their decision was that it is the grace of God and receiving that grace through faith that brings us into right relationship with God. It isn't adding to it the cultural responsibilities of the Jewish community causing Gentiles to behave like Jews. That doesn't make them Christians. What makes them in a personal relationship with God is who they believe, the provision that God has given them in Christ Jesus. And I would say to you that that same truth is as true today as it was then. It is that faith in Jesus Christ that brings us into that relationship with God. But then as we come to the 22nd verse, once the decision was made, it had to be communicated. There had to be a clarification from the council concerning the gospel. Now, they couldn't do like a Skype where they contact the church and they have all of the leaders in their room and all of the leaders in Antioch and the region around in their room and they do their computer hookup, which rarely works, by the way. Uh, but but they, they try it that way. They couldn't do that. So what did they do? They crafted a letter of introduction for human beings to go talk to other human beings and share the decision of the council. And that's where we pick it up here in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. In order to carry the news of their decision, they chose men of integrity Men who would be trusted by the church at Antioch. And they were going to communicate the decision that was made. Look at verse 22. Then the apostles and elders, with the whole church, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. I find it interesting that we see a repetition of terms. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what was the church's solution? In answer to the some men who came and brought error into the church, the church sent some men who were in the truth, sanctioned by the church, to carry the message of God's truth. To the church at Antioch and they were careful about who they chose notice that first of all they chose Paul and Barnabas they were going to be messengers because who was responsible for working and leading in the church at Antioch wasn't it Paul and Barnabas As a matter of fact, what we find is the church at Antioch had even sent Paul and Barnabas on the mission work that planted so many churches in the Gentile regions. It was really kind of a no-brainer that they would send Paul and Barnabas because they were so trusted by the church at Antioch. Of course, they would report back to them the truth that God would have them share. But then there were two others mentioned. First, there was Judas called Barsabbas. Now, Barsabbas is basically, roughly rendered, the son of the Sabbath. And we don't know much about Judas. We don't find him repeated in Scripture anywhere. But we do know this, that he was a trusted leader. And therefore, the folks in Jerusalem sent him because they knew his giftedness. They knew his integrity. They knew his strength. And then look at who else was sent. They also sent Silas. Now we're going to see Silas many times in the New Testament. Silas is also sometimes referred to as Silvanus in some of Paul's writings. But he was a companion of Paul, who was a faithful servant of God. And he was sent to Antioch, along with Paul and Barnabas, to carry this message. It's important I believe, when there are differences for people to get together and talk. And when they come together and talk, it's always important to send those who are people of integrity, who represent the truth of God, who are there to see reconciliation and resolution. And that's why these men were selected by the church to go and carry this important news. So then we come to the next part of the passage In verses 23 through 29, we find the council's decision and how carefully it was explained. Notice we come to verse 23, and it says, with them they sent the following letter, and what we find is a record of the letter that was actually sent. This isn't a letter that was sent here on the screen. It's just found on Google Images. But what they sent was this letter that was communicating to... The believers, the decisions of the church, and, and what we find is fascinating. The structure of this letter was structured in such a way that it it 's patterned after many of the formal letters that Greeks would send to one another for business purposes so it 's a very official looking letter, and what it's communicating with the church isn't necessarily all that was discussed and decided, but it's more a letter of introduction for these people of integrity to come and share with them verbally what the church decided. Look at what is shared. To the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. And then we find the letter itself. First of all, there's an identification of the problem. Look at what he says. We have heard... Some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds. The identification of the problem is very clear. What the people in Jerusalem, the apostles and elders, wanted the church at Antioch to understand was this. Look, the folks that came and shared with you a gospel that is contrary to the gospel that we have shared... They were not sent by the church under our authorization. They were freelancing. They were doing this on their own. This wasn't sanctioned by God's people, God's church. They chose to do this on their own. And he wanted the people to understand this doesn't come from us. The false teaching came from them. So you need to understand that. You need to grasp the source. And then he acknowledged that their teaching had caused problems within the church. First, he says, they have disturbed you. Now, this is a word that we find in the Scripture that carries with it the idea of stirring up, causing confusion, causing restlessness. It's a word that also appears in Paul's letter to the Galatians when he says this, I'm astonished That you so quickly are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people, now here's where we find the word again, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Perhaps this was even the same group that Paul was writing about when he wrote to the Galatians, those who were coming in twisting, distorting the gospel that was so clear, that was given so well by the Apostle Paul. And basically, what were they doing? They were adding human effort to God's grace, and it was throwing new believers into confusion. In fact, look at what else he says. They were troubling their minds. Can't you imagine that as the church of Antioch and these other Gentile churches heard people that they considered to be experts, hey, they're from Judea. These are people who are right in the thick of things where headquarters is, if you will. They're coming and sharing these things. Surely what they're saying must be true. But they were confusing things and they were causing there to be turmoil in the minds of the Gentile believers. Now this word, turmoil, is a powerful word. It means to tear down. They were tearing down the hopes and the aspirations of these people. And here's something that we need to understand. Satan loves to distort and confuse the gospel. Why? Because if I am not confident about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I'm not going to be motivated to go and share that which I'm not confident about. Until I get a handle on it, that squelches me sharing the gospel. Or, even worse, I can share the gospel that really isn't the true gospel at all. Paul goes on in the Book of Galatians chapter 1 in verse 8 to share that the gospel that they had added to was a different gospel. Not the true gospel that's given. So when Satan can complicate the gospel and get people confused about the gospel, he's accomplished something very, very powerful in stopping the spread of that gospel. That's why it was so important for the church to address this. He wanted the church to know that the truth of the gospel is simple. Not to be complicated by men who come and try and change these truths. So, after these people have their minds troubled, after they're confused, what was the church's solution? Look at verse 25. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. So, the church there in Judea, in particular in Jerusalem, wanted to carry the message of God's truth to the church at Antioch. Let's clear up this confusion about the gospel. And we're sending witnesses to testify as to what we've decided. This is such an important part of this passage. How many witnesses does it take to establish a matter? How many? Anybody know? Two, at least two, right? Here they send four, double the minimum requirement. And they're coming there to share what the church had decided as witnesses to it. And they're coming to minister to the church at Antioch. And then there's even greater authority that we find in verse 28. In addition to these witnesses, notice it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So you have the authority of the leaders that God had put into place, the apostles and the elders. But in addition to that, you have the authority of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what these leaders were saying is, look, this decision doesn't just come from man. This is a decision that comes from God. God guided us in this decision. So there's authority behind what we share. And then they go on to share the decision. It was good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And then the requirements are given. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, And from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. There was a part of the Gentile culture that was wrapped around idolatry. So what the church in Jerusalem decided was this. Look, don't allow that culture of idolatry to creep into the church. There were two ways that the church could have erred. They could have erred by going into the law and saying, I will become a Jew, by my culture in order to be a Christian. That would have been wrong. You don't mix the gospel with culture. But then they could have gone over to this other side and said, well, you know what? I'm going to retain all of the activity I had as a sinning Gentile. I'm going to retain that culture, that culture of immorality, and that won't be affected by my decision for the gospel at all. Either one of those decisions was wrong our cultural viewpoint has to be informed by the gospel. And so it would have been inappropriate for these Gentile believers to continue to go to temple prostitutes. That's what this sexual immorality was talking about. To continue to view food that had been sacrificed to to idols as somehow a spiritual food that honors The gods. No, there's there's only one God that they honor. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church's solution was that they recognize the importance of God's truth and embrace that truth. But not get sucked into a culture that somehow brings them back into bondage. This is something that Paul says quite well in the book of Galatians as well when he says this. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, in this instance, Paul was talking about the law. As Gentile believers, don't come under the culture of the law and be those who buy into the idea that by doing the law, you have a right relationship with God. But, you know, they could have just as easily fallen into the yoke of slavery to their culture With all of its sinful practices, they needed to be delivered from both. And they needed a new culture, the culture of Christ, where they follow Him. So, what happened? When we come to verses 30 and following, we see how the church received the message. Verse 30 says the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. So Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas did exactly what they were supposed to do. They brought the church together and they shared the letter. And look at verse 31. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Now there's two ways that this could have gone. The, the people could have looked at this and said, Hey, we're in Antioch. They're in Judea. Those people in Judea can't tell us here in Antioch what to do. We're not going to listen to what they share. We're going to do our own thing. Right? They could have responded that way. But what did they do? They had open and receptive hearts. They were ready to listen to what the spiritual leadership communicated And they responded positively. Understanding that the apostles were directly commissioned by God to lead the church. They responded and they received it. And rather than bucking it or fighting against it, they were glad for it. Because it cleared up the confusion that had come into the church. Look at verse 32. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. So not only do you have the message of the letter itself and the decision, but now you have people exercising their spiritual gift of prophecy within the church at Antioch. And so the church is ministered to by those who came to minister. And more than that, we see as the text goes on, after spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. So there's a bond that's increased between Jerusalem and Antioch. Rather than the churches dividing and saying, we want nothing to do with you, they fell in love with the leaders sent from Jerusalem because they carried such important ministry to the church. And then we find in verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. The work of the gospel was continuing. But then we come to something else. As we come to the next part of the passage, we find that the scripture says, continue to share the gospel even when there are disagreements. Now, what we find here is An important thought that we need to truly grasp. Listen. There are going to come times in the church body where there are disagreements. There are differences in approach, differences in perspective. And we need to understand that. This is what we find here with Paul and Barnabas. So let's look at the context of their dispute When we look at verse 36, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. What they were responsible for doing was, first of all, they they, they wanted to carry the message, the gospel, out to others. They wanted people to understand that the message of God's truth was important, and they wanted to follow up the churches that they had planted. So here they are. They're, they're coming up with a plan, and Paul is driving this plan, and he's saying it's time for us to go back. It's time for us to establish a, a deeper walk in these churches and to visit them once again. And so during the course of that discussion, of course they're going to discuss what? Who do we take along with us? Who comes with us To share the gospel. So what happens? Look at verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So here's the problem. Paul is saying, look, when we go back to visit these churches, I want a team I can count on. I want people who will stay the course. It's not a good testimony for somebody to start on the course and then leave. So, in my estimation, John Mark needs to stay behind. He deserted us in Pamphylia. It was referenced in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. We don't know the reasons behind his desertion. We just know that he left the work. And that stuck in Paul's mind. He looked and he said, the work is too important. But then there was Barnabas. What does Barnabas' name mean, son of encouragement? What did he do? He took younger, immature believers, and he worked with them, and he brought them to maturity. He started with Paul. Immediately after Paul's conversion, who was it that stood up for Paul and the church and said, this is a man that we can see great value in for the work of Christ? It was Barnabas. So Barnabas was following suit in his work with Mark. He was saying, look, yeah, he deserted us in Pamphylia. He has room to grow. But I see huge potential. And so that's his decision. Let's take Mark with us. So Paul, no. Barnabas, yes. Paul, he may desert us again. Barnabas is saying he needs to grow and he can have great value. Which one was right? Perhaps both. They had differing callings, differing emphases in their ministry. And perhaps both of them were right. Listen, they were working together for the work of Christ, but on this they could not agree. The scripture says that they came into a sharp disagreement. And there are times where when we are passionate about our ministry and what we want to see that is really God's ministry, and those are the things that we want to speak up for and stand for, that we'll become passionate about it with somebody who happens to disagree with our position. And there are times where Believe it or not, even in Christian circles, one has to continue to pursue their approach to ministry while someone else approaches ministry in a different way. And what we find is this. That doesn't shut down ministry. Nor should it. Each of them saw the importance of carrying the gospel. Each of them were committed to sharing the context of what they believed was the right thing to do, each of them were committed to seeing their way pursued. And what happened? Their contrasting approaches led to different paths. Look at verse 39. After it says the sharp disagreement took place, it says what? They parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brethren to the grace of God. When we look at this, we might say, hey, this is really unfortunate. You have two leaders going in different directions. And believe me, this could have become very unfortunate. What would have happened if Paul would have gone to all of the people that are Paul's supporters and said, hey, Barnabas don't get it, man. Barnabas has really lost sight. You know what the problem is? Mark's his cousin. And because Mark's his cousin, he's showing nepotism. He's taking the side of his family. We need to just really forget Barnabas. He has no business being a leader. Or, what if you're Barnabas? Man, Paul is harsh. He's not thinking about reclaiming a life here. For a guy that says he's so compassionate and loving, man, he's not showing love at all. He's rejecting Mark. And this nonsense about saying that I'm doing this because he's my cousin, I do this for everybody. I've demonstrated that in my track record. You know what would have happened if they had approached things in that way? The church would have been destroyed. The church would have blown up some following Paul, some following Barnabas, there would have been destruction. There's a greater matter at hand. Eventually, what we find in Scripture is that Paul saw the value of Mark. He's mentioned in several of Paul's letters, but this one's particularly interesting. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, it says, Only Luke is with me, Now look at this instruction. This is the last letter that's recorded by Paul. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Amazing the the change in perspective on, on Paul. What else did Mark do? Right after Matthew, there's a gospel. The gospel of Mark. Mark wrote that gospel. So he has a great contributor to the church. So again, was Paul right? Was Barnabas right? I would say to you both of them were right. They had differing goals, differing approaches, both of them necessary to the church body. And so that's what we find here in this difference between Paul and Barnabas. And what happened is this. Rather than squelching the gospel, just like persecution from the outside spread the church to where more were ministered to. This division within the church spread to where there were two missionary teams. There's Paul and Silas who go and share the gospel and there's Barnabas and John Mark who go and share the gospel. The gospel continued. Why? Because they remembered to keep the main thing The main thing. The way they communicated the gospel and the fact that they needed to communicate the gospel, that should never be derailed by disputes. During your experience in a local church, let me guarantee you something you're going to have a disagreement with somebody. It's inevitable. There are times where those disagreements will lead. To changes in a church. And let me share this with you. That's not the end of the world. You don't get invested in the disputes. You stay invested in the truth of God. You stay invested in the gospel. If you become discouraged by disputes and differences, Satan has accomplished exactly what he set out to do. Crush the spread of the gospel. Stay vested in making the main thing, the main thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you.